other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes Are longing to stray Frank Sinatra uh, singing in a manner that uh, even even Liza Minnelli would be envious of. You know, that's coming to Broadway uh, pretty soon. The uh, the musical version of New York, New York, uh, where that song originated from, believe it or not. All right. Um, look, I realize that um, a lot of people talk about what happened in terms of the crime revolution that took place in New York City. However, I have not seen it depicted in a journalistic manner as well or as thoroughly as I have in an incredible documentary that I just watched, which uh, really did a wonderful job causing people that live in not just New York, but cities around the country to think. The documentary is called Gotham, The Fall and Rise of New York. It features people like New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin, former uh, New York State Supreme Court Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, uh, Rudy Giuliani, former New York City Police Commissioner Bill Bratton, and a number of other folks. And I'm very, very pleased to be joined by the director and writer of Gotham, The Fall and Rise of New York, Matt Taylor. Matt, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Now, um, there's a, a lot that I want to ask you. First of all, congratulations on the film. It's really, Thank it's you. really terrific. Uh, it's not only educational and packful of different, uh, you know, lessons that everybody should take from it. It's just incredibly well made. The production value and the pacing is just great. It's very entertaining. What made what made you want to make this film? You know, I had been uh, working towards making a film on Robert Moses, and in late 2019, I was approached by Larry Moan of the Manhattan Institute, and he said, hey, we should make a movie about the turnaround in New York because, you know, all these guys are getting up there, and it'd be great to make a film about, about that period. So we had started the film, and then COVID struck, and I was living in the financial district at the time. And uh, we watched the city go into a complete, absolute tailspin. And the film suddenly went from a celebration of the era to a warning for the future. And that pivoted the entire project into what it is today. It, It was no longer looking back. It was now looking forward to where are we going from here? Because now all of our cities are in this you know, disaster state. And that's kind of how, that's basically how the project came about and how it ended up being the way it is. 
And just so folks know, you, you alluded to the outreach from Larry Moan and the Manhattan Institute. Is, I know you have a lot of Manhattan Institute people in here, not only Larry Moan himself, but Nicole Gelinas, Heather McDonald, uh, several others. Is this film, was it funded by the Manhattan Institute? No, actually, they actually did not know anything about it until it was completed. Really? It was primarily New Yorkers who were concerned about the state of the city, the future of the city, um, and where the city would be going from this point on. Really? Okay, so let's talk about, uh, and we want to encourage everybody to see this film, and we're going to tell people how to see it in just a minute. You chronicle a lot of the the beginning of the fall of New York City with the the Lindsay years. For people that weren't around back then, or even people whose memory of that era may not be that uh, that fresh, Remind people a little bit of the promise of the Lindsay years and that John Lindsay himself came into office with and sort of the the failure of the leader of the Lindsay years. What were New Yorkers hoping for in electing someone with movie star good looks like John Lindsay? And what was the failure of the Lindsay administration? Well, John Lindsay was really the next uh, John F. Kennedy. He was actually a Republican at the time. He would turn to a Democrat later on, and this was a new era. See, it's the mid-60s, 1966. Uh, You have the Civil Rights Movement. You have big, massive social changes in the United States, and he came in promising that he would help lift people out of poverty and and do all these magical things that kind of coincided with what the federal government was doing under Lyndon B. Johnson and a number of other programs. And he really had no concept of how the city functioned in many ways. Of course, he had a number of problems coming right out of the gate with strikes and subway strikes and then garbage strikes. Um, And, you know, he just started spending money the city just didn't have. And as we say in the movie, the city would never have. And he would end up taking the city and putting it into a massive tailspin. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, now, you know, give a lot of, blame to Dinkins, but really a lot of these issues, primarily in welfare and crime and education, started under Lindsay. And from that point on, the city would go into a 30-year downward spiral. We briefly mentioned Beam, but he's also just Lindsay Light. So it wasn't just the eight years of Lindsay, then you had four years of Beam before Koch came in. Uh, So uh, does Lindsay get any credit? Michael Goodwin, who's in the film, said that uh, at the time for New Yorkers, he sort of represented hope. Is there anything that you can chalk up as an accomplishment in the Lindsay era? I mean, look, Lindsay, I would say, is a compassionate person. Lindsay meant well. Um, but again, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And again, this, the, the city it does not have the latitude to spend money on social programs and other things that he wanted to do at, at, at such the rate that he, he expended. And it would put the city into a 10-year decline. It would, it would cause the schooling systems to implode. Um, I mean, it, the damage was immeasurable. And I really think he probably meant to do good. Um, and in meaning to do good, he left the city in an extremely disastrous state. You chronicle the explosion in murder numbers from the beginning of Lindsay's mayoralty to the end of uh, of Lindsay's mayoralty. Uh, some folks are going to ask, what, were these crime problems unique to New York 
or were we seeing street crime, murders and the like go up in the rest of the country as well? What were the New York numbers like in comparison to cities around the rest of the country at that time? Well, during the Lindsay years, the crime rate went from approximately 600 murders a year up to 1,700 murders a year. Uh, That was the approximate number per year. I believe he left the office in 1973. Um, A lot of it had to do with the rise of narcotics. Um, And, of course, we talk about in the film how the police chief said, hey, we're no longer going to arrest people um, for narcotics, which caused the violent crime to spike, especially minority communities. There was also spikes around the country. um, But again, this is not the kind of city where you you can let crime run rampant. In fact, the underpinning of how New York functions, the first thing you have to deal with is crime first and foremost, and then you can build everything off of that. So a lot of it had to do with just looking the other way, with not getting involved, with basically being passive. The police department was pulled back. They focused primarily on corruption within the department and not crime itself. There was no preventative measures to go after crime, and it just spiraled out of control. As you mentioned, there's just kind of a passing mention of the the beam years, but you do spend a fair amount of time on the 12 years of the Koch mayoralty. In your view, and in the view of the folks that you that you spoke to, how do what role did Ed Koch play in either the rise in either the fall or the rise of New York City in the 12 years that he was mayor? Well, Ed Koch would come in uh, with a much better understanding of how the the finances of the city functioned. And a lot of what he did was rein in the spending that Lindsay had let go out of control. So you had that simultaneously with the baby boomers returning to the city because they wanted the gritty fun. You had the rise of the 80s and you had Wall Street. So these things kind of all happened during the Koch years, but Koch really did manage to rein in all the spending, shut down a lot of those super departments that Lindsay had started because he did have an understanding that you had to at least financially get the city in good shape. He ended the 10-year financial downturn of the city. And in a lot of ways, he also brought a lot of jobs back to the city. So, you know, it's funny, when I started, I've you know, always thought of Koch, I would say, probably in a more negative light because of the state of the city. But towards the end of the making of this film, I saw him actually different as a director, as a guy who actually really was significantly important in his first term and helping the city at least get back on track. And of course, we talked to Dan Biederman, who, you know, helped turn around Bryant Park and Koch allowed uh, Dan Biederman to do a lot of his work in the public private partnerships. So there was a lot of interesting policies in that era that really uh, that the Koch administration allowed to happen that did help the city start moving at least in the right direction. But he did never get crime under control. Koch is defeated in 1989 by David Dinkins, New York City's first black mayor. Uh, there's a pretty negative portrayal painted in the film uh, of the people that are spoken to about um, about Mayor Dinkins. And look, you look at, at Dinkins' record, uh, the crime numbers, the murder numbers were at record highs. Uh, you have things like the uh, the Central Park jogger. You have situations like the uh, Crown Heights riots and a number of large scale incidents where uh, that kind of came to symbolize to the whole country the decline, if not demise, in some people's eyes of New York City. Does David Dinkins, though, deserve credit 
for put it, pushing through an unpopular tax increase at the time, the safe city, safe street, safe city tax, in order to hire more police. And does he deserve some credit for hiring a very competent police commissioner in Ray Kelly and at least beginning the turnaround in terms of crime? You know, it's interesting because one of the stories we cover that a lot of New Yorkers don't know is the change of the board of estimates, which changed the political power structure and underpinning of the city. It went from basically 11 people, borough presidents and things, making determinations to a city council. And that was really spearheaded by Peter Vallone. And Peter Vallone, when he came in as a a very strong uh, Democrat speaker of the House, he really did push forward a lot of the safe city streets, safe streets programs to bring those police around. And of course, Dinkins did resist this program in the beginning, but through a number of political maneuvers, uh, getting the governor on board and getting a number of other people, they did manage to get those police on uh, uh, hired. The problem is, and as Ray Kelly explains in the film, the Dinkins administration backloaded the hires and the idea that maybe he would be reelected and then he wouldn't have to follow through with the program. Of course, he was not reelected, and those police would end up under the Giuliani administration. And so, you know, I think Ray Kelly, of course, did a lot of great things in that era. He came in during the Crown Heights riots. He helped helped settle that. They learned a lot, actually, during the Crown Heights riot. He was a great police chief, and, of course, he came back during Bloomberg. But again, I really think that Peter Ballone and a number of other people actually deserve a lot of credit for pushing those programs through after the Brian Watkins murder uh, in in 1990. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, though, uh, I mean, if, if he was the mayor and he did ultimately support the tax increase to hire more cops, I, I think, um, you know, just as President Clinton shares in some of the credit for Republican-backed initiatives on the federal level, I think you at least have to give Mayor Dinkins some credit for uh, beginning the turnaround. And obviously, Commissioner Kelly's masterful hand, handling of the World Trade Center bombing alone I think uh, shows that uh, even even a broken clock might be right uh, twice a day. But and we in Staten Island really like the board of estimate. We're pre- we're still pretty sour about that Supreme Court decision <laughs> on the one man one vote rule. It seems to me that uh, in addition to crime. In addition to the uh, finances of New York City being a mess for so long, another area that you spend a lot of time on in the film in terms of what went wrong in New York City was education. How did New York City's uh, school system get to be such a mess? Well, you know, again, this is one of those Lindsay-era, you know, destructive uh, ideas, the Brownsville versus Education Board, where you had – you know, there were no teacher unions at the time, and you had the students warring with the teachers because the teachers didn't want certain students there. So a lot of this kind of blew apart in the 60s. And, of course, the Board of Education was created in the 70s uh, to kind of manage all these things. And essentially, you just had this declining graduation rate year over year over year over year. And there's so much corruption within the school systems. We highlight how principals were found smoking crack in their cars, how there was kickbacks and political payments to get principals installed. And the mayor had no authority over any of this. Um, of course, during the Giuliani years, he tried to tried to take over the Board of Education, uh, and he failed, which we do highlight in the film as well. And it's not really until Michael Bloomberg, who finally gets control 
of the education system with Joel Klein and then starts to implement a number of programs and open charter schools and implement school choice. And then finally, the graduation rate started raising, uh, I think, up to 70 percent. I think it's up to 77 percent as of, as of uh, you know, now. So it was we kind of highlight as that that is one of the three major pylons of how the city turns around. It's crime, welfare, and education. And, you know, Giuliani didn't get as far with, with his programs, and Bloomberg really tied off that, that final pylon to get the city back on track. And we're talking with Matt Taylor. He's the director and writer of the new documentary Gotham, The Fall and Rise of New York. If you want to learn more about it, you can check out the website, GothamMovie.com. That's GothamMovie.com. Having lived in New York City in 1994, it did seem... And on many levels that the city sort of transformed overnight in the Giuliani era. What was I know you mentioned his inability to get mayoral control of the school system. What was the Giuliani era? um, What was the recipe for success that seemed to lead to such a, a marked turnaround? You know, one of the fascinating things about the Giuliani years is everybody knows it happened. But nobody knows how it happened, which is one of the reasons we set out to make this film. And, of course, you know, his number one thing was to control crime, to get crime down. He brings Bill Bratton in, uh, and they implement broken windows. But one of the big things that they did that we really highlight in the film is they basically used analytics to start going after crime. They used analytics with Comstat, and they started reducing fear. They started just cleaning things up. They started just fixing windows and taking graffiti off of walls. And, and the thing that, hi, that Bill Bratton actually highlights is that people were more upset about the things they were seeing every day, like the prostitutes and the gang on the corner and the graffiti on the wall and the abandoned cars, um, than the crime they were hearing about for what wasn't happening to them. So they really focused on the look of things and on fear itself, which would then draw people out of their houses. They would draw them back into the parks. And when you have people on the street, New York City needs eyes on the street. They need people on the street. They need interaction. That keeps crime down. And that's really one of the things they focused on heavily, whether it was cleaning up garbage trucks, whether it was cleaning subway cars, you know, or, or it, was, it was cleanliness. It was returning public space to the New Yorker, which is so crucial for every New Yorker to interact with their public space. And if you think about it, it's really that first term where the numbers dropped so drastically, not just in crime, but then they focused on welfare. Uh, They took the numbers from 1.2 million people in welfare down to 425,000 after eight years. A lot of this happens, again, in the first four years. They understood that things are required for New Yorkers to be prosperous, and hence those are the things they went after, and they used analytics to track it all, to hold people accountable, to get actual results. It just had never happened before. It's almost so obvious now that people go, oh, weren't we always doing that? But no, this is really the first time they started doing any of these ideas. As far as your, by the way, how do people see this? If people are interested in seeing the uh, the uh, documentary, what's the best way for them to do that? Currently, it's pre-orderable on iTunes, and on March 21st, it will be on Amazon and iTunes, and you can watch it online.
We're looking at a lot of problems in a lot of cities around the country, similar to what New York dealt with. Uh, St. Louis, Detroit, Baltimore, Memphis, Milwaukee, Chicago, Cleveland. A lot of these cities are dealing with this. They look like New York in 1989. What do you think, given the incredible New York story that you chronicle in this film, what is the biggest lesson that cities seeking to have their own turnaround? What's the biggest lesson that they should take from New York's story? In order for these cities to turn around, you need leadership. You need leadership that wants to turn them around. You need, you need innovative ideas. You know, even New York today, as there's a decline happening, you know, you need innovation in how you deal with problems. You know, because now the problems are global, because New York's not just competing with Chicago. It's also competing with Beijing. And so you need innovation, you need leadership, and you need a focus on how you fix these massive infrastructural systems. And so, you know, every city is a little different, of course, but the big, big point to take away from the film is that New York was the worst. It was the worst in every single metric. And in, in four short years, uh, at least 50% of that work had been done. It is possible. If you can turn a city like New York, which is considered con- completely ungovernable, you can turn a city like Baltimore, you can turn a city like Chicago, you can turn a city like Los Angeles. So it is feasible, it is possible, and a lot of the ideas, if you want to know how it happened and where to start, they're in this movie laid out piece by piece, very detailed, and we need good leaders, and the citizens need to vote in good leaders so they can you know, be liberated from this from this disaster that a lot of these inner cities, you know, are, have become. Matt Taylor, hope people check out Gotham, The Fall and Rise of New York. You can go to the website, Gotham, the move, GothamMovie.com. Thanks so much, Matt. Let's talk again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 